You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. John chapter 17, and if you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, I'd ask that you do that. I think John 17 is kind of, I know even for my own self, uh, I've heard of it. Many would call this the great high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's an amazing chapter. But when you think of amazing chapters in the Bible, this is maybe not the first one that comes to your mind. We're going to see and talk about some things that uh, other chapters that may really stir you. But what's taking place in John chapter 17 is really amazing. Jesus Christ is praying. And, the, and we're going to get into the details. And the moment in, in the history of, of when he does this is amazing. What is on his mind, and we know what is coming. The cross of Calvary is coming, yet he pauses to pray. And we're going to pick up our reading here in verse number 20, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter, and then we'll pray and get right into the message. But Jesus is praying this in verse number 20 of, uh, of chapter 17 in John. Neither pray I for these alone but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they, may, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and thou hast loved them as thou hast loved me. He seems to kind of be repeating himself, but for a very good reason. He's wanting us to understand this, and he's allowing us to read this through the inspiration. He goes on to say in verse 24, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, and they may be, behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Amen. What an amazing picture we have to look into that Jesus Christ praying. And, he's, you know, sometimes we pray, and maybe you go into your prayers, maybe this is just me, you go in, you're trying to pray really good, you get real distracted, and you're kind of, oh, i got to get back to it. Jesus is very focused, and has some very specific requests that he's making to his Father. And right here towards the very end, this is an amazing thing to me. I love when people pray for me. You may have a prayer request time, I saw a list, and you turn them in on Wednesday night, and you, I hope you pray one for another. But here's the amazing thing, right here in John chapter 17, verses 23 in the chapter, Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for Eastside Baptist Church, and he has a, a goal in mind, and here's the goal. He wants us to be united for a cause. Amen. And when we're united for a cause, he knows what that can do, and that's what we're going to get into this evening. Before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then you can be seated. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that you've given us to be here. Lord, I thank you for this great church. I thank you for the, the friendliness that they've shown to me and my family, and Lord, I pray you would continue to bless the Jets and, and all the work that is done here. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, be with me now as we open up your word. I pray that you would just empty me of self, you would cleanse me of sin. Lord, I pray you would help me to be a blessing to your people, that, 
Uh, you would encourage them to continue to move forward as, as I know your desire for this church is. And Lord, we do ask you, if there is one here tonight that does not know you as their personal Savior, Lord, that tonight would be that night. And we ask all these things in your Son's precious name. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, when I read through the Bible and I read these amazing stories, I, I've always thought to myself, I really want to see that. When you go starting in the Old Testament and, and just seeing, we hear about Noah building this ark, I'd love to just see that. You know, when you get to, to Joshua and these different areas and you hear about the city of Jericho and the walls falling down, I, I want to see those kind of things and Elijah calling fire down from heaven. And I sure hope that when we get to heaven one day, they have DVR. Yeah. DVR is one of the greatest inventions, is it not? Because you, can, you, can, you don't have to skip church anymore. And you can watch your shows. And you don't have to watch any of the commercials or all that stuff. But, you know, I don't know there's DVR or YouTube in heaven, but I, I hope there's something. You know, I love to read about it and, and, and to see these things. But to see it with my own two eyes, I think that'd be pretty cool. I'd love to see the Red Sea crossing. I got some questions about it. I don't know if it all crossed, all opened at one time or maybe just step by step. We don't know. that. I've read different things about that. Just I'd love to see those kind of things. And there's conversations in the Bible and, uh, that I'd love to just be in on. You ever had, heard somebody say this or you have, uh, oh, I was just a fly on the wall. What a conversation that would have been. While we look at these great events in the Bible and these great miracles, what is happening here in John 17 is, is an amazing thing. That Jesus Christ is praying, and I, I'm so thankful that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we have this, that we are able to be a fly on the wall, so to speak, and we're able to hear God speak to uh, Jesus, speak to his Father at, at a time when he needed him so greatly, and, and it is, it's quite something that we have here. Now, this prayer that we find here in John chapter 17 can really be divided into three different parts. The first five verses, Jesus is, is praying for himself. Because he knows what's coming. We were talking in Sunday school this morning, Brother Chad, and we were in John chapter 13. Is he, he's setting his disciples down and he's, he's telling them what's about to happen. Because he knows what's coming. They're all kind of all in left field. They're thinking, who's going to be the greatest and who's going to set up the kingdom? And Jesus says, hey, I'm leaving. And it kind of shocks them. And he, he, he's really setting them up for the mission that he has called them to do. Because when he called them and said, follow me, he wasn't just talking about following him while he was here on earth. He knew what he needed them to do and what he was planning for them to do to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Jesus begins praying in those first five verses, but it's not a selfish prayer. His main focus is to glorify his father. That's what Jesus lived for. That was in everything he would do, he would do all things to glorify him. Then he moves on in there to verses 6 through 19, and, and Jesus is praying for the disciples. He's praying for those that are going to be left behind after he is crucified and he's buried, he's risen again and ascended to the Father. And he knows what they're going to face. Because up to this point, they have kind of had the protection and, and somewhat of a bubble being there with Jesus. When there was problems, they could just say, hey, would you wake up the wind and the water's coming in? Hey, we're out of food. Can you make it something happen here? Hey, can you heal this? And they just always kind of had him there. And they've had that protection, and he's not going to be there anymore. And he begins to pray for them, and he prays for their protection, but he prays for this, and I believe it's something we can apply to our own lives. He prays for them to be in the world, but not of the world. Because as Christians, we need to be in the world. This is where we live. 
But we're not to be of it. And he's, he wants them to take that in, and he prays for their unity. And he prays there in verse 13 that they would have his joy. If you have time, go back through John 13, really through John 17, right up to the, the cross, basically. I never noticed how much Jesus Christ talks about joy in these chapters. This is a man knowing that he's about to be crucified, knowing that he's about to be beaten and mocked and spit upon and his beard plucked out, and yet he keeps talking about joy and how he wants the disciples to have his joy. Yet the, heart, the disciples are troubled. Their hearts are stirred. He tells them in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. They were agitated. Their emotions, they had anxiety all over the place, and yet here is the one marching triumphantly to the cross saying, I want them to have my joy. And that's what he's praying for here, and that's what he wants them to see. And here in our text that we read this evening, verses 20 through 26, Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for those believers. He says, neither pray I for these alone, not just the disciples that are alive, but for them which also shall believe on me through their word. And if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, Jesus is praying for you right here. This is, this is what he wants for you in your individual life. This is what he wants for this church and, and all of his churches around this world. See, Jesus is marching triumphantly to the cross. The disciples are thinking, how, how are we going to get them out? How are we going to get Jesus out of here? And Peter's basically saying, over my dead body, you're not going there. Jesus, we, we know this, but he, he, he didn't go as a helpless victim to the cross. He didn't go as some uh, 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 courageous martyr. No, Jesus Christ went to the cross as the sovereign Savior of the world. And he had to do this. And, and as he's marching to this moment, this hour, the, the most important event in human history, this hour that he always kept talking about and saying, my hour's not come, my hour's not come. But if you read here in John chapter 17, in verse number one, he says, the hour's come. The hour that, that, that has been planned before the foundation of the world is upon Jesus Christ. And, and no doubt, I can't imagine what is going on in his heart and what is going on in his mind and just on the human side, the anxiety and the, maybe just that feeling in his stomach. But yet he's marching forward because he loves us, because he cares for us. And, and the thing that just, just rocked me in a sense is he stops. I would be trying to get it over as quick as possible. Like, if it's going to happen, let's just get it done with. No, but Jesus stops and he prays. What, what does he pray for? I would pray, get me out of this. And that's what I would pray. I think many of us probably say that. If we knew what was coming, he knew. We, we know because we've read it. But he knew. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And that's not what he prayed for. He prayed for the same thing that me and Renee prayed for on this trip up here, unity. You know, you think, why would you take a 900-mile trip? We, we just decided we're just going to test our marriage. We're going to test our parenting. I think we need to come on Wednesday nights and see if we get some tips on the, on the trip home. You know, if you've ever been on a road trip with kids, you just pray like, unity. Let's just get along. Let's try to get there. We bought one of those science boards, like little posters. So we can put it in the back seat. We threatened, like, if y'all start fighting, we're putting this board up. So you can't even see each other. You're going to have to fight over the board. You know, we, we wanted unity on the trip. Now, the reason we wanted it is we just wanted some peace and quiet. We just wanted to kind of enjoy our ride up here. Jesus wasn't just trying to get some peace and quiet and get everybody to get along. 
No, he wants unity because he desires for us to be united for a cause. What's the cause? It's his cause. It's the reason he came. It's the reason that he's going to the cross. It's that the world might come to know and might come to believe that he is God and that he is in the flesh and that he has come to die for them. That we may be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the world. But we can't be fractured and we can't be splintered and, and this group and this group and half of the church is doing this. And the other. No, Jesus is understanding and wants us to understand in order for the mission to be accomplished as he's laying it out in this upper room discourse, if, if the job is going to get done, it's going to have to get done through unity. Everybody's going to have to be on the same page. And that's what Jesus is wanting them to see and, and that's really the overarching theme of the prayer. You see there in verse number 21, he says it at the beginning, that they all may be one. That's what Jesus desires. Hey, we're all in the same family. If we know Christ is our Savior, then God is our Father. And he wants us to be on the same team, and he wants us to be accomplishing the, the same jobs. So if unity is the central theme of this prayer, and I think if, you, if we had time to really read the whole chapter, we'd be able to see that. The, the, he keeps reiterating it over and over again. What does it look like in 2020? What does it look like in your life and in your family? What does it look like in Eastside Baptist Church? If Jesus prayed for it and it seems like he, he wants you to have it, what is it? You know, I think sometimes when you, when you want to know what something is, it's good to know what it's not first kind of helps us it helps me you know well it, i know it's not that so so what it what is it not it, well unity is not compromising the truth Amen. jesus is nowhere to be found right here jesus isn't saying okay guys i'm about to leave i'm gonna die on a cross but what's really going to change this world is you're going to gather around a fire and get a guitar and sing kumbaya i'm sorry if you like that song i don't really care for it and I really don't like holding anybody's hand except my wife's. She won't even hold my hand right now. She said, you probably have coronavirus. It's just a lame excuse if you ask me. But if, if, on a serious note, though, you know what? Our Christianity today is kind of that mindset. It's, it's the popular mindset that let's, let's just put aside all our petty differences and, and, and for the great cause of unity. The doctrine of the Bible is not petty differences. Jesus Christ wants us to stand on the truth of the Word of God. There are things that we should not uh, compromise on ever because God's Word is very clear on it. And Jesus is not saying, hey, hey in order to have unity, you're just going to have to get along with everybody. No, no, Jesus stood firm on some things. He wasn't liked for some things, but he's saying, well, if you don't like it, then I, I guess I just won't do that anymore. No, he, that's not how he operated. I love what D.A. Carson said about this. He said, unity is not achieved by hunting enthusiastically for the lowest common theological denominator, but by the common adherence to the gospel. So many people say, well, hey, we'll just find something we agree on, and then we'll just go forward with that. Oh, we all like this music, then that's what we're going to do here. That's, what we're gonna do. that's not what Jesus is praying for. That's not what's going to change this world. That's not what your community needs, your workplace needs. They need the truth of the Word of God. Yeah. Having all these fancy things and all these programs is not going to save somebody. They need to know that Jesus Christ loves them and that He died for them. 
See, Jesus is not praying for unity based on our own opinions of who we think God is. You, you can hear that all the time. Well, I know what the Bible says, but that's a scary statement. When you hear that, run the other direction. And you'll, you'll invite somebody to church. Well, I know what the Bible says, but, you know, I, I kind of do my own thing. You know, I, I have church on my own. and Our unity is not based on, hey, who we think God is. But the unity we have is, is based on who God really is that's revealed in His Word. There at the end of verse number 20, it says, But for them which also shall believe on me through their word, through the disciples' word, through our word. Where did we get those words? From Jesus Christ. People aren't saved because uh, this is Brother Jason's opinion, and this is what the Sunday school teachers are. No, we're saved because that's what the word of God says. And that's what we are, are, are unified on. And Jesus tells us there in verse number 8 of the same chapter, he says, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. See, Jesus wasn't going rogue and operating this, that way either. He was giving the words from his Father. He, he, he came to do all things that please the Father, he tells us earlier in the book of John. And that's what he wants us to see. And, and the Apostle John tells us in, in 1 John 1, 3, that, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. When the beloved Apostle is writing later, he said, hey, what I'm writing is not what I think. I've seen it. I've handled it. I've touched it. I've walked with him. I've heard the words from Jesus Christ. And that's what changed my life, and that's what John was telling other people. See, our unity, it began with the truth of the Word of God, and it's going to continue based on that same truth. It, we, we cannot compromise on that. We can't say, well, let's just find something we agree on. No, what we agree on is the Word of God, and that's what we need to hold fast to. Look, there, there's no reason, if we're honest, there's no reason for all of us to be here this evening unless it's centered on the truth of Jesus Christ and His Word. You know, I don't, I don't know many of you here. I know a few of you, and I've met some of you. Uh, very unfriendly. Nobody shook my hand or anything this morning. But I'll get over it. Well, li listen, we didn't, we didn't go to the same college. You know, I, I don't know all the college affiliations up here. But in Texas, you know, football is like religion. And you got Texas and you got Oklahoma on the other side of the, the Red River, on the wrong side of the Red River. And then I'm a, I, I, I'm a Texas A&M Aggie, so then I'm just, they make fun of me all the time. But, you know, it, we, even at church, and I'm sure you have it here, maybe there's sports teams and somebody will get up and say something or wear a tie of their team. And, you know, you got to rib each other. And, and when the other team loses, you make sure about that. You know, we don't like the same sports teams. You know, many of us don't even have the same hobbies here. You know, me and, me and Brother Heath, we're both outdoorsmen. He likes to shoot things. I do too. A golf ball. You know, that's just kind of how we roll. There's different personalities here. And when you really think about it, some of the people that you're friends with and gotten close to, you never would have been friends. You never would have probably met each other. But you know what brought you all together? The truth of the Word of God. The fact that Jesus Christ saved you just the way they saved that person. 
That you were a sinner and you were on your way to hell, but it was the Word of God that came into your life and it was the Word of God that changed. You see, the reason we can gather together is because our bond is much stronger than some college affiliation or some sports team or some hobbies and there's nothing wrong with those things, but that's not what's going to keep us together and, and keep us moving forward. It's, it's the Word of God. When we received His grace through Jesus' finished work on the cross of Calvary, that's what changed us. But it's sad to see that many people that have been changed by that forget it. And they, begin, they start to be worried about all these other things. And it's sad to see great churches that used to be in this country aren't even a church anymore. Why? Because they compromised on some truth. And that's all we have to stand on. That, that, that's why we can come this evening and, and preach boldly. Not because of anything we know, but because of what the Word of God says. See, if you know the Lord is your Savior, we share something far more powerful than just some shared interest. We share Jesus Christ. That's an amazing thing to think about. See, uh, unity is not compromising the truth, but unity is also not outlawing diversity. Maybe you've seen some videos uh, uh, of these military uh, endeavors in other foreign countries many times. And they are, they are, it's, it's like all the soldiers are on a string. You know, they're marching with these real high leg kicks. I mean, they look identical. Sometimes it looks fake. Because, I mean, there's so much uniformity. See, Jesus is praying for unity, not uniformity. There, there's a difference there. He's not saying everybody has to be exactly the same. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that we're, we're not the same. I'm glad we're different. I'm glad my wife's different than me. That, that's a good thing. But when it comes even to a church body, Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 and 6, it's, it's one body but many members and many gifts and diversities of gifts. It, it doesn't mean everybody in the church has to be the exact same, but we have the same goal. And we have the same mission God has called us to. Even the disciples, many of them had different personalities. Not all of them were like Peter. But, but God used Peter, and God used James, and God used John. He used their gifts for the same cause, for the same mission, and he wants us to do the same. See, we've seen what unity isn't. It isn't compromising. It isn't saying that you, you can't be just a little different in maybe a personality or, or a spiritual gift. So, so what is it? Well, kind of in verses 21 through 23, we won't read them again just for sake of time, but it, it, unity is our participation in a shared relationship. It, it, this phrase keeps coming up, and, and Paul uses it very often in his writings, in Christ. And when you think about that, and, and it reminds us that by the virtue of his death and his burial and his, his resurrection, Jesus' Father is our Father. And, and, and if we have the same Father... That means we're in the same family. Amen. I know this is getting really deep on a, on a Sunday night. I did go to Bible college, so I'm able to handle some of this. But he wants us to, to see that. See, and, and we, 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 we can't miss this. Our unity is to resemble the unity of Jesus and his Father. That's what the church is supposed to do. That's what a family, a, a Christian family is supposed to represent to the world that's around them. Because the world sees a bunch of disunity. I mean, you just turn on the TV and everybody just yells at everybody. I like to read the news because I just get mad watching it. 
I'm like, this is just crazy. Everybody just yells at everybody all the time. But our relationships with one another are supposed to be an example of what God and his, his son are. Jesus tells us that in John 13. If you were to go back a, a, few, ver- a few chapters there in verses 34 and 35, he says, how are people going to know that you're my disciples, that you love one another? Well, how can you love somebody that you have so many differences with? Well, you're in the same family, and you were saved the same way, and God treats you the same way as, as he treats the other ones. See, just as the Father and just as the Son are distinguishable, but yet they're perfectly unified, the same needs to be true in our life that although we're different and we may have different gifts and and different backgrounds and different preferences and, and appearances, we should be perfectly united in and through Jesus Christ. That's what he wants us to see. I mean, just simply put, the the closer you get to Christ, the result will be that you can't help but love one another. I know that's tough, and you, they, I know how churches are, you thinking, but you don't know so-and-so. Maybe you need to look in the mirror, because God loved you. And, and I found that true to, in my own life. The more, the more in love I am with God, sometimes those people that used to irritate me and, and kind of frustrate me, I think, you know what, God loves them. And, and I have some great relationships with people like that, and God reminds me, hey, that's you to some people too. But when, when, you're, when you're striving for the goal and your goal is Jesus Christ and to be more and more like him, he gives you that desire to be unified with the brethren, to be on the same team because you are. And Paul reminds us of that in, in his writings. And we did a, a study in our church on the book of Philippians, an amazing book. Paul loved the Philippians. They helped him out dearly, and they, they would send offerings so that he would not have to be in, thrown into the dungeon. He would be able to be on house arrest. And Paul wrote them, and really, Philippians is kind of a thank you note. And he thanks them for their fellowship in the gospel and, and the fact that they were unified on that. But he also addressed some issues, and in, in kind of in chapter 2 and in chapter 4, there was a little bit of disunity creeping up in the church. And he tells them in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 1, he says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, he's not saying if there is, he's saying because there is, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves." Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Paul's reminding them, hey, Philippians, what what makes this church so great is not you and not your gift, but it's that you're working together. And you say, but that's not possible. Have you met so-and-so? And And do you know this situation? And then Paul throws this in verse number five. It is possible. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, hey, stop thinking about yourself and and how this affects you, and this is your attitude about it, and this is what you're going to do. He says, no, let the attitudes and the actions of Jesus Christ determine how you operate. Let that determine your unity. Because there was a whole lot of people that didn't get along with Jesus, but you know what he did? Loved them. Why? Because he knew there was a need greater than his own. He came for them. He He didn't come to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a a ransom for many. See, the the amazing thing about Christ, and it it, it challenges us, is he was always on mission. 
Sometimes we're on mission when it's convenient and when we sign up for it and, and all these things. And I'm not against any of that. But Jesus reminded no, it's a, it's a full-time job. That it, it needs to be an everyday uh, occurrence in our life. See, the only way to draw closer to one another and to grow in unity with one another is to become more like Jesus. That's what Paul tells us. He, he tells us in those famous verses there in Romans chapter 8 that we know that all things work together for good to him that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. But verse 29 is amazing. He says the whole reason all these things happen and everything's going on in your life is that we can be conformed to the image of his dear son. And when we're more like Christ, we have a desire to be unified one with another. See, our unity is based and empowered by Jesus Christ and him alone. Not based on our musical preference, not based on what Sunday school class we're in and who our friends are in the church and who we get along with this and, and whether we like that song today or not or Brother Jason messed the words up. or That's not what it's about. No, it's, it's only Jesus Christ that's going to keep us together. It's only him that's going to allow us to continue to move forward. See, that this unity is a, a unity of relationship, but it's also of mission. When we get the, the idea that we're all doing the same thing, it makes it a lot easier. That it's not this section and this section are doing one thing and this section and this section are doing something else. Because that's what Jesus is doing here. Really, John 13 through John 16 and, and, and 17 right here, he is laying out the mission. It's kind of like he, he's had his public ministry and it's, it's come to an end. And he's kind of in the locker room, so to speak, with the disciples. And he realizes, hey, it's their turn to get out on the field now. And he's kind of giving them the speech and letting them know, hey, this is about to happen. This is your mission. This is why I called you. This is how it's going to happen. This is how you're going to continue to move forward. See, when we realize we are on the same team and we have the same Savior, we realize we have the same mission. I have the wonderful privilege of being an assistant coach for my son's t-ball team. You know what the biggest job we have to tell them is? You're on the same team. They're just excited when that ball comes their direction. And like seven of them just run for the ball. And while they're all fighting over the ball, the guy's going from first base to second base to third base to home. And then the one goes, I got it. I said, well, yeah, they already scored a run, man. We're, we're going to lose the game if you fight over the ball and you're all worried about who's going to get the glory and who's going to catch the ball and who's going to throw the person out. You know, Jesus sometimes is just reminding us, you're on the same team. Hey, I, I, I have a job for you to do. And he wants us to think about it that way. See, the Father and the Son were unified in their desire to rescue sinners from hell. That's why Jesus came. They weren't an argument. Well, I don't want to do this. No, he said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He was as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. They've been on the same page. And he, that's what he, he has said over and over. You notice when we read that. As we are one, he keeps saying. And I want them to have what we have. What a, what a thing. We, we, we see the relationship with God, the Father, and God. So we think, I want that. Jesus is saying, it's here for you. If you really want it, you can take it. If you really want it, here's some steps that you can do. See, we mentioned already, but it's very, very, very clear that unity is the theme. 
Why is Jesus just harping on it over and over and over? Because he knows this. It's critical to the success of the mission. If the mission is going to be accomplished, this is how it's going to be accomplished. It's not going to be accomplished with this group and this group and and doing their own things. He knows that it's absolutely critical for the mission. So the question I ask my church, and I think that you could ask yourself as a church, Eastside Baptist, how do you know if you're united for the cause of Christ? Jesus wants us to be. he's, He's praying that we would be. I think there's just some practical evidences we find here that really would help us to see. I see, number one, I think it's a shared commitment of the Word of God. Jesus talks about there in verse number 22, he says, In the glory which thou hast given me, I have given them, but they may be, that they may be one, even as we are one. That word glory can also be defined here as revelation. What Jesus Christ has revealed. God had given him things and he revealed it to the disciples. And, and when we think about the disciples, it wasn't just that he did miracles in front of them. It wasn't that he just, he, he did certain things and drew some crowds. Nobody gave him his words. The word of God is, was revealed to them. You remember many times he was teaching and then the disciples would say, well, what did that mean? And he would sit down and he would expound on that. And it was the word of God that they were, they were holding on to. They were, they were sharing in that and, and they realized this is what changes lives. Because when you think about what changed your life, it was the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And in order to be a church that is unified and united for a cause, we have to have that shared commitment for, this, for the word of God. I love reading through the book of Acts. You want to talk about a church that's exploding in growth, and it wasn't really uh, optimal time for growth. I mean, persecution and all these things are going on and, and, and they're having to huddle up because Christianity is not a real popular thing. And they're getting kicked out of the synagogues and, they're, and, and Rome is coming down on them. But yet it kept growing and exploding. How? Well, at the, there in Acts chapter 2, it tells us they were unified by the word of God. They were in one mind and one accord, as the Apostle Paul said there in Philippians. Why? Because they, they, they realized, hey, we're on the same team. God's called us all on the, on the same mission. You know, if every member of this church is willing to ask, what does the Bible say, and commit to obey it no matter what, then I think you'll experience unity like never before. You know, we sing the song all the time, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You think, well, that's just a really simple song. Well, we really need simple truths. And you know what Jesus wants us to do? Trust and obey. Because it works. Because He loves us. Because He wants us to be on that same page. See, our glory comes from being more like Christ. Our our, our glory comes from letting His Word take root in our lives. And the more that we're in the Word of God and the more that we have a commitment, and I know uh, Brother Jason well enough to know that his commitment in this pulpit is to preach the Word of God. And the more that this church is in it corporately and the more that church is in it individually, it's only going to help you to continue to move forward and to be unified because you're agreeing on the same things. He's not sharing his personal thoughts and advice. He's sharing the Word of God. Preaching the Word of God. 
See, we, uh, a practical evidence is a commitment to the Word, but it's also uh, a shared understanding of our new identity. I don't like to think about it often, but before I was saved, you know, I thought the world was revolving around me. Maybe you wouldn't say that out loud, but that's just how we live as sinners. That we live for self. That, hey, how does this affect me? Hey, how's this going to make me happy? And I want to do things that are going to make me and me and me and me. But when you realize that Jesus Christ, and you come to realize who you are in light of Him, you realize that you're nothing. And you realize that you're not the vine, actually. Jesus told them, I'm the vine. And they're in John 15. And, and, and you're the branches. And when we have that idea, it, it reminds us that, that we're all on the same vine. That God is, God is our Father. And, and at salvation, when we receive Christ, we receive a new identity. A new family. It's the, the family of God. Three times in the text that we read, Jesus tells us that, uh, says the word Father. We're not strangers anymore. You used to be strangers. Now you're brothers and sisters. Now you're in the, in, in the same family. And God wants us to see that. And we see thirdly, it's a shared pursuit of sacrificial love. What Christ wants us, not only are we brought into this love between the Father and the Son, and He allows us to have that, he says we can experience that same love with other people. That, that's why he's brought us into this. There's no way, though, that we can experience that, that this supernatural, selfless, sacrificial love, and it not affect your other relationships. When you think of everything God did for you, it should change how your relationships down here go. See, when this relationship is growing and moving forward, these will as well. That's what Jesus is saying, that you have a shared pursuit of, of Christ, and when you have a shared pursuit of Christ, you'll be able to pursue other people and love them in the way He wants you to do that. See, Jesus isn't praying for you to embrace some concept. He's really praying for you to embrace some kind of conduct. That Christian life, the, the beatitude life that He teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. How, how do we do that? How do we show it? We bear one another's burdens. We forgive one another. We pray for one another. We encourage one another. We submit one to another. We love one another. And the, the Bible goes on and on and on. It's just ways that we can show other people, hey, we're in this together. Hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, hey, I love you. I, I, is there anything that I can do for you? See, the reason unity doesn't exist many times is because it requires breaking a sweat. It takes a little bit of effort. You know, America was kind of built on hardworking people. But you can see our country slowly going away from that. Everybody just going to say, how, how can I make this as easy as possible? You know, now we can just shop just sitting on our couch. Just Amazon, man. Amazon just shows up at my house all the time. Pray for my wife. That's just, that's just how it works. Number four, and we're almost done. A shared dis, uh, another way we can have unity is a shared discontent for contentment. Jesus was praying there in verse number 23 that we would be made perfect in one. Sometimes we get to a place where we think, I'm pretty good right here. This is, this is good enough. You ever, you ever working with some people, maybe you're working on a group project, and you always make a, a, we used to make a joke all the time, this is good enough for government work. You know, you all sit around thinking, well, it, it, will get, it will get by. You know, I don't, I don't see Jesus Christ living his life like that. 
I don't see all these great Bible characters that we think, man, I'd love to have a Christian life like them. I don't see them just thinking, that's just good enough. You know, I see him, I see him striving for, the, for perfection. That, that, that they may be, we may be made perfect, that mature, that complete, that we would be one together. Perfect. It doesn't mean spotless. It doesn't mean no problems. It just has the idea of pursuing, uh, uh, with, pursuing unity with the highest degree of it. That we're aiming for the top. You know, I've heard this saying, just put the bar low so you don't get disappointed. That's not what Jesus says. Paul says, hey, I'm pressing toward the mark of Jesus Christ. That's the goal that we're trying to reach. We may never, we're never going to display the father and son relationship to the fullest extent here, but we can try. Our relationship to try to model that. See, when we have this, dis, this shared discontentment for contentment, it keeps the target where it should be. It doesn't keep the target right down here where they can around and say, well, I'm better than so-and-so over there. Well, I mean, we're doing better than that. I mean, look at that preacher's kid. He's running all over the place. Those are my kids. But that's not the goal. Our goal is Christ. When we're trying to push each other and make each other better. See, we, we must never say, we're unified enough. We're good right here. We got a, you have a beautiful church building. This is amazing. I love the exposed wood. I mean, just walking through it. God is blessed, obviously. I don't know all the story. I talked to Brother Heath a little bit. Just how God has worked here. Don't get and say, this is good enough. We got a beautiful building here. And I was talking to Brother Heath, and I said, okay, show me around. He said, well, this is the property out here, and, I, and the plans are in the future to build. That, that's what God wants to do. Don't just say, hey, we're good now. We got this beautiful place, and we can't ever get to that point. So when we come down to the end here, and we, we see Jesus stopping before he goes to the cross, would we have stopped right there? And if we did and we began to pray, would we pray? For this, knowing death was imminent, why did he do that? See, because he knew that unity in the church would be a powerful testimony to the world. Because Jesus Christ died for the church. He shed his blood for the church. And he knew a church that is unified gives an amazing testimony to the world around it. See, real unity is a supernatural work And it points to a supernatural reason. Jesus is alive in us. Because there's people that will visit a church and say, there's no difference there. But when people walk into Eastside Baptist Church, they they may not understand it, and they may think you're weird, and they like usually shake hands and smile. Like, what what is wrong with those people? They may not understand, they may not even agree. They're, They're trying to figure out what it is, but they realize something is different there. And it should draw them back. See, I've been to a lot of churches, and I've never heard preaching like that. I've I've been to a lot of churches, I've never seen people singing songs written in the 1700s they're actually excited about. I mean, think about it. You ever invite someone to church, and they say, I don't don't really go to church, there's there's too many hypocrites there. Something along those lines. You know what they're saying? I've been to church, and there's no difference. It's just this group and that group. But you know, the reverse is true as well. See, a unified church reveals a powerful, life-changing truth in the Word of God. That, Like, hey, those people actually believe what that guy's up there saying. See, it reveals that Jesus came to this earth and sent by His Father and died on the cross and, and paid for our sins and, and rose again and he's, he's ascended back. See, Eastside Baptist Church 
is, I believe, and what I know about it, and should be a visible display of God's goodness to the world around me. That, that should be your desire. You should be the visible display of kindness to the Sioux Falls community. That this is what God looks like. If Jesus Christ was here on earth, he would look like this. He would be a member of Eastside Baptist Church. I know maybe many of your grandparents here, and are, you, you take your kids, your, you know, my, my parents used to love me. Then I had kids. And now I'm just the transporter of the grandkids. But you know, they got a phone now, and they look at my grandkids. Every time they meet somebody, they show them. This is, this is what they look like. Don't they look like me? And they're so excited about their grandkids. They just want to, this is the picture. This is what they look like. You know, we don't have any pictures of Jesus. By the way, all those paintings you see, I don't really think that's what he looks like. It's just my personal opinion. We don't have a picture of Jesus to show. But see, I believe Eastside Baptist Church is the photograph. It should be a picture of his love and of his mercy. And your church has a frame around it. And at the bottom of the frame, and it reads, and it has a sign that says, Come and see what God's like. Why? Because that's what a unified church should be. That the outside world can come and say, This is what God looks like. This, This is what he does. See, what Jesus is praying for is that when they come and see your church, when you invite them, when they get a track, whenever it may be, they come in here and say, this is what I've been looking for. Why? Because they see a church family that's unified, that's united for a cause. That's what Jesus prayed for. And I believe that's something that we should all pray for ourselves individually, but collectively as a church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.